On this week's episode of Isolated But Not Alone, we're going to continue our discussion on marriage, the foundation of family life. And on the last episode, I discussed how Virginia Satir, a very famous marriage and family therapist, stated that marital partners are the architects of the family. So today we're going to dive into mate selection, which will be kind of fun. So stay tuned. Hi, this is James Raines, and you're listening to Isolated But Not Alone, a podcast that seeks to bring mental health awareness to rural and isolated communities. I just wanted to take this time to let you know that this and other content produced by James Raines is not therapy and is not intended to be therapy or to replace therapy. Nothing in this podcast indicates or creates a therapeutic relationship. Please consult with your therapist or seek one in your area if you are experiencing any type of mental health symptoms. Nothing in this podcast should be construed as specific life advice, and it is simply for the purpose of education. Welcome back to Isolated But Not Alone. On this series, we've been tackling the family from the Christian perspective, and we've been going through a book entitled... The Family, A Christian Perspective on the Contemporary Home by Balswick, Balswick, and Frederick. And so we've been moving out of just a general understanding, a general theory and philosophy of the family and how to work with the family and a theology of the family to now what we're going to dive into specifically marriage, the beginning of the family. But really, marriage could be equated to relationships and things of that nature. But the coming together of two people into a committed relationship. And we're going to talk a little bit about what that means. And the book is actually going to address some of this kind of right out of the gate. And if you haven't been tuning in, this is from the Christian perspective. And when I sat down to record this podcast, I thought, man, there has been so many significant changes in the last few years when we think about the family and involving and surrounding the concepts surrounding the family. And so I thought it would be interesting to dive into some of the more recent terms that have been developed about relationships. And some of these are quite interesting. So if you're tuning in and you're a minor or a young person or you know, there is going to be some terms in here that might be offensive. So just bear bear with it and tune out if you're of a younger age group. And for the rest of you, these are things that I just Googled. I hear a lot of terms. I research a lot of terms working in the therapy world, working in mental health. It's good to be aware of the language because language is an important part of how we interact in relationship with others to know what things mean, what things have shared meaning, as well as to be curious when I hear something I've never heard before. So oftentimes I find myself looking at new words and slang words and things from the Urban Dictionary. So when I was looking up words, for example, for relationships um, from the Urban Dictionary and the Urban Thesaurus, I just found there's so many interesting terms out there for relationships. And some I've heard and some I haven't. Bromance is obviously one that I think has been made common enough through Hollywood that people, for the most part, understand what that phrase means or what that word means. And basically, it's it's a relationship, a friendship between two guys that's so close that it almost looks romantic in nature. Here's one I hadn't heard. Facebook official. 
Now, I can assume what that is. I haven't had social media in many years now, but I can assume that you've become official on Facebook, which means you've changed your status to dating. I know that's what used to happen back when I had Facebook. And then you've like linked the person in the picture so that everybody knows that now your two Facebooks, your two Facebook pages are linked together in relationship. Here's another one, IDR, or excuse me, LDR, long distance relationship. Now I've heard of long distance relationships. Those have kind of been around forever, but I've never heard LDR, you know, and I don't know if that's like people walking around like, hey, how's your LDR? Or if that's just something people text. I don't know. I'm not that hip. Uh, Platonic is one that we've kind of heard relatively recently. Platonic is another one that's kind of one that's been around for a while. Platonic is a relationship where there's no romance involved. Basically, people are strictly friends and maintain a relationship without any type of sexual activity. Now, here's one I hadn't heard. Flirtationship. (laughs) If you're out there listening, you're like, this guy is ancient. He literally has no clue. He is not hip. You are totally correct. Minus the ancient part. Um, I'm not really hip, so if it sounds awkward to hear some of these words, I own that. I'm a bit of a nerd. That's okay. Uh, flirtationship. So it's more than a friendship, but less than a relationship. I'd be curious how that actually looks in practice. So a flirtationship. Now here's one that is also interesting. Strange. So apparently the Urban Dictionary says that when somebody is referring to a relationship as strange, it's really meaning sex outside your current relationship. And again, I've never heard this in a sentence, so I really have no idea what that would actually look like, or in this case, sound like when being said. But there you go, strange. Another one that I heard relatively recently before I went and Googled it, uh, situationship. So a situationship is a relationship that has no label. It can be a friendship, but more than a friendship. It can be a relationship, but not quite a relationship. It's a situationship. So there you go. So maybe you found yourself in a situationship. Maybe you found yourself in a flirtationship. Another Facebook-themed one is called Face Base. And I, again, I had never heard of this. The point in a romantic relationship where pictures of the couple begin to appear on Facebook and their relationship status changes to in a relationship. So not only did I look up words that were synonymous with relationship, I also looked up words that were synonymous or phrases that were synonymous with dating. <laughs> and there's some interesting ones out there that I had never heard of. So there's a site, it's actually a dictionary.com, kind of like one of their articles, that basically says 10 dating slang words you need to know in 2022. And I know we're almost a year past that as the summer has quickly disappeared this year. But here they are. Number one, soft launching. A soft launch basically means subtle hints on social media that you're dating somebody new. This is things like two glasses of wine in a picture. And it's basically sharing in kind of a passive aggressive way or a subtle way that you're in a relationship without really getting as maybe in your face as face base. So if you've been listening, you know that face base is where you're making it more serious and starting to put pictures of yourself on Facebook. Another one is roaching. And it's kind of one of these things where there's one cockroach, there's probably others lurking around in the dark that you can't see. And that's kind of where roaching comes from. It's basically when you're dating a person that's hiding the fact that they're involved with multiple other people at the same time. And what's really important about this term is the thought, not that you're not seeing multiple people and it's been agreed upon that you're kind of in this stage of the relationship where it's not serious yet, whatever. It's more that it's like nobody knows about it. It's secret. You're you're basically lying or being deceptive or, or covering it up. Now, this one might make sense for last year, um, but it's called Fauci-ing. fauci So as we know from Dr. Fauci, that basically they turned his name into a, into a dating term. All those years in medical school, all the importance 
during the pandemic just to have his name turned into a dating term. <laughs> I guess that's kind of flattering in a way. Uh, but anyway, it basically means that you you turned out a date because somebody isn't taking the pandemic seriously enough. And apparently this was coined on the dating app Plenty of Fish. So it's gotten so famous that Dr. Fauci is actually aware <laughs> of this term. So there you go. Fauci. Another one is zombieing. It's kind of like ghosting. And maybe you've heard of ghosting where you go on a date and maybe you're setting up a second date and the person's not there anymore. Or you're texting and you're communicating maybe an online website of some kind. And then you actually go to meet them and poof, they're a phantom. But zombieing is a little bit different than that. It's basically what happens when someone who's ghosted you suddenly reappears. <laughs> so it's a ghoster who rises from the dead. That's what this article literally says. It's quite funny. And contacts you like nothing ever happened. Just like in a real zombie apocalypse, there probably isn't a cure for the virus. The best thing you can do is run away fast. And that's a quote from the article. So zombie doesn't sound very pleasant. Woke fishing. It's when somebody portrays themselves as more progressive than they actually are, especially on social media. And this is done in order to impress others or simply because they're not as well versed on issues. It's kind of like catfishing when somebody assumes a false identity. But basically in the sense, it's, it's misrepresenting your values in order to lure somebody in. Benching. Benching. So this comes from like the term of when an athlete gets benched or removed from the game. And in a sense, it's basically you got somebody on the side that you're kind of keeping in a holding pattern. You're kind of keeping them on the bench until you're ready or the relationship you're in isn't working out. So basically, you're that person that the other person kind of circles back around to when they can't get any other type of relationship. Orbiting. This is the new ghosting. That's what the, that's what it's referred to it as. It's when somebody breaks off all contact with the person they were dating in real life, but they continue to kind of be in the person's life and social media, oftentimes interacting with their stuff. But in a sense, they're not really in the relationship. They're kind of just orbiting in this like holding pattern on the outside. <laughs> they're not dating, but they're kind of just spying on you from a distance. They're kind of like the moon. You kind of see it. Sometimes you don't, but it's there. Orbiting. Another term is cuffing. So cuffing is interesting because it's when everybody seems to pair up during the holiday seasons. It's a period during the fall and winter holidays, kind of from Thanksgiving to Valentine's Day, when people are just more inclined to get involved in romantic relationships. So another term is pocketing. Pocketing means keeping someone you're dating separate or pocketed from the rest of your life. This is where you have a romantic relationship where you're not putting it on Facebook. You're not inviting them to meet your friends or your family. And you're really just kind of keeping things on the down low. Breadcrumbing is the last one. And it's basically the new way of saying you're leading somebody on. And basically they're engaging you occasionally through chats and messages on social media, maybe even via text. They're doing some flirting, but the intention is not actually to be in a relationship. Sometimes it's just to feel good about themselves, unfortunately, at the expense of the other person. So there you go. There's some interesting dating terms that I looked up as we're getting into uh, marriage and relationships. And I just thought it was kind of interesting because I, I sometimes feel not hip. <laughs> I don't think I've ever used any of these terms, but every once in a while, I like to add in new terms that I've learned. You know, I was the kid who wanted a word a day calendar for his birthday. Yeah, I know. I said I was a nerd early on. So, <laughs> and so I feel like I'm going to start using these. So there you go. So there's some terms for you. So in case you're wondering, in case you're like me and you're like, hey, I need some hip new terms to try out. Situationship. There you go. Breadcrumbing. Pocketing. Cuffing. 
orbiting, benching, woke fishing, zombieing, fouching, roaching. Got a whole new list of terms for you. Under this topic, the book actually has romance and reality. <laughs> and I find that kind of interesting because sometimes romance and reality don't necessarily equal one thing or don't necessarily add up. So really, the book here is going to talk about how complex mate selection is in today's society. And it's going to talk a lot about different premarital practices like hooking up, internet dating, uh, visiting relationships, cohabitation, marriage following childbirth, serial partnering. And it's going to talk about how all of these have their different challenges um, to the relationship and to families at large. And though the book talks a lot about that, we're not really going to focus on any of those things. But really, we're going to kind of dive into the different types of mate selection that have existed throughout history. So it's going to be kind of like a history lesson, but kind of in a fun way. What's interesting about the historical understanding of marriage and mate selection is one that is based kind of early on with arranged marriages, all the way up to the individual is completely responsible for the selection of their mate. And what's interesting about this is that in the fundamental world in which I came from, courting was a big deal. They didn't like the word dating. They like to make it more serious sounding. Courting, they like to add all kinds of caveats to what courting means. And so sometimes it could sound really in practice just like dating. Uh, but it used a better word or a more Christian word. Um, unfortunately, that's kind of the nuances that we're dealing with in the fundamentalism world in which I came from. And what's interesting about that is, is that oftentimes they said, this is the way that the Bible says it has to be done. This is the way scripture, this is the way God himself says that dating should be. It should be courting. And what's interesting is, is that that is more cultural than biblical. It comes more from the culture than it ever did from historically the scriptures or Christianity. And I just find that to be very, very interesting. So in fact, the view that Christians take in this more fundamental world, their concepts, their ideology, the practical way in which they date or court is honestly more connected with Victorian romance and early romance in the United States, early mate selection and marriage than what it would have been like during the time that the New Testament was written. And the Bible actually talks a lot about mate selection that falls outside the bounds of this historical view, which is actually more recent and cultural than it is biblical. And so we're going to kind of dive just a little bit into that. So this might be kind of hard for some folks that are from the United States, because in the United States, selecting a mate is usually an individual process. Ironically, in, in the Christian fundamental world that I was just talking about, it's becoming more subtly a family-oriented choosing. Even though they wouldn't necessarily say that or admit to that, I have been present recently at at least one or two weddings where the family was more involved in the process of the individuals getting together than the individuals were. And so this is still kind of going on within the fundamental Christian world, this mate selection process, where the family is actually more involved or equally involved with finding the individual than the individual is. But basically in the United States, it's usually, selecting a mate is usually up to the individual, and it's based on romance. Unmarried people date, and then they choose who they want to marry. And this, ironically, is not old. This is actually fairly recent. In most societies throughout history, this decision was chosen by the parents or by the family members. And this is what we call arranged marriage. So this idea of marriage, mate selection through love and romance and the individual choosing, especially in Disney movies that were based off like 200 years ago, that isn't quite 
how it would have been. It would have been very much a process whereas there would have been an arrangement for two people to come together. And it wasn't just necessarily always the family. There might have been neighbors and communities involved in this. And oftentimes when we think about that, we think of like royal families and we think about the historical past where, you know, there's people marrying other people and other royal families in order to have benefit to their countries in some way, maybe to avert war or to establish trade routes, etc. And even when we talk about like mate selection as a process of arrangement, it's still more complex than that because there are all types of arranged marriages throughout all kinds of different cultures that have all kinds of different nuances. And there's a spectrum. Just like with anything else, there's a spectrum. So in societies where marriages are arranged by parents, there's really kind of two dominant approaches that come out the bride price system and the dowry system. The first is usually in agricultural cultures where labor performed by females are greatly valued. The daughter is seen as the property of the father. In exchange for the bride, the groom's family gives her various material goods. The dowry system is also similar and is also found in agriculture societies where family units live and work on their own property. And a dowry consists of goods that the parents give to their unmarried daughter to make her more attractive to the marriage market. And then the wife brings that dowry into the marriage. With all of this, both of these systems are really kind of involved in the economics of the family. There's an economic part that this plays. So the family in these societies are economic producers. Children are taught the family business. They become productive members in the society because of their occupation. And these arranged marriages benefit both families and maintain the family and maintain the community because they are playing an economic and not a social or romantic role. Where the big shift exists is in our postmodern world. The modernization process has really challenged this arranged marriage concept. Rapid advances in technology, including things like social media, have transformed the family. We're moving away from the economics of the family because we have industrialization. We're not necessarily relying on the family to be an economy. And so families have transformed from the center of economy and production to consumers. People have to take more time away from family to go to work which allow them to maximize their personal choice and benefit. And so we move away from this parental choice to the choice of the individual. So I just kind of want to stop there. We're going to get way more into this concept of arranged marriages and uh, romance-based marriages, individual choice. And really just say that the reason why this is so important is because there are current subcultures here in the United States that are participating in arranged marriage currently. And there's other cultures that reside in the United States that participate in arranged marriages. And I think sometimes for us as people who live in the United States culturally, who have been born and raised in the United States and hold to more Western philosophy of life, tend to somehow think there's something maybe wrong or taboo about arranged marriages. And it's ironic because if you were to talk to somebody who comes from a culture where arranged marriages are the norm, they would probably think similar things or have similar biases towards romance or individual-based relationships. Both have their pros and cons. And we're going to talk more as we go on about romance-based relationships, cohabitation, uh, multiple relationships under one roof, and kind of the challenges that they impose on the family system, as well as to dive in this topic of fundamentalism a little bit and kind of discuss its pervasiveness and how it takes the traditional understanding of marriage, what they call biblical, which is actually maybe 100, 200 years old, and claim that's how it's always been done and that's the right way to do it and kind of poke some holes through that, which is going to be kind of fun. So I hope you're enjoying this content and you continue to listen and we're going to dive more into that in a couple weeks. Remember, you might be isolated, but you're not alone.
Thanks for listening. And I hope you enjoyed this podcast enough to share it with friends and family and reach out with any questions you might have about mental health. And we will do our best in future shows to answer those questions. And remember, it might feel like you're isolated and maybe you are, but you're not alone.